0: What
1: conditions? Um, stipulations. Magic tricks or manipulations, interjecting conversation. I don't know what to talk about. Oh, uh, yeah. On. I want to pull up all my sad docs. I'm good. We can. We can. Sad docs. Sad docs. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Doing all right there? Doing all right there, No,
0: no. Yeah, Yeah, I feel like now that we're in the, you know, the home stretch of this year, it's probably just going to keep getting worse. I'm yeah. Just assume that. I feel like that's a way for me to protect myself against feeling. Anything ready else. for the
1: worst. I feel like, um, like the bad seed in an '80s teen movie. I'm like, <laughs> hey, man, if you don't care, you don't get hurt.
0: <laughs> you don't get hurt. You just keep living. Just yeah, the emo. I'm uh, curious. Wait, wait, wait.
1: Yeah, I have I have a pack of cigarettes in my rolled up t shirt sleeve and Hot. a switchblade behind my ear and uh, your ear.
0: That's that takes a lot of uh, dexterity. I'm
1: gonna cut my yeah. ear off. Oh my god. Full circle to Van Gogh, baby. Yep. Brooke and I had a fun conversation about Van Gogh yesterday. Um,
0: he. Do you want to tell them what he did with his ear? it's
1: really messed up. So Van Gogh cut off his whole ear and this is the the deep cut, no pun intended, he her gave it. That pun was absolutely intended, don't even lie about it. It was when it started coming out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> but I got there all by myself. <laughs> so Van Gogh went to his favorite brothel and asked for Rachel and gave her his ear and was like, please take this and remember me. Do you want to tell them the best part? What, the she fainted or that it was the whole cabbage?
0: Or that Rachel was 16? <laughs> Oh, yeah, Rachel was 16. Yeah, uh, Van Gogh man, uh, cut his whole ear, River. and then took it to a 16 year old. Weird
1: move! And she, uh, I and she don't fainted. think she kept it, which is, uh,
0: fair enough, I guess. We talked about this, and I would have kept choice. it. Yeah. I would have kept it. I, I would have put it in, like, a shadow box on my wall, and then people came over and were like, what's that? I'm like, oh, that's an ear. Oh, funny you should yeah. I should ask.
1: Yeah, I would try to do the whole, didn't they like grow a human ear on the back of a mouse? I would just try yeah. to start that
0: all by myself.
1: Grow just like sew it on there the and ear. be like, maybe oh. it'll attach. That would I, be a cool tax project. Hard you can pretend it was the original. And you're uh, the artist.
0: The I'm the artist. Around, not
1: and this is Exceedingly Persuasive. And I'm Mackenzie Brennan. And yeah, i uh, still crying. I'm Brooke Rogers. I don't cry anymore. That's true.
0: I'm dry. I not cry.
1: Bless. Oh, that was such a stifled
0: sneeze. I don't sneeze out that loud. That's weakness. That's I just, true. I just, uh, I hold it in like everything else.
1: Pain is weakness um, leaving the body. Uh, you so I feel inferior as anyway. I will for the rest of this generation. Um, thanks uh, to, do you want to, um, yeah, you want to mention what
0: we're talking about today?
1: Oh God. Well, yeah. I mean, first I want to reiterate. A major thank you to John Asher for being on last week. Um, yeah,
0: that was – and the response And was the responses amazing. that we yeah.
1: got were so validating, and I sent them all to him. And it's just been such a nice process to, you know, learn about this with Brooke and have her be part of figuring all this nonsense out and to gain a new family member. And, you know, we're always – for better or worse, we are forced into situations where we – have no choice but to learn to be vulnerable and it has uh served us as a nice silver lining so i really appreciate everybody being with with me and us for that and with him so that i would be remiss not to mention that mm-hmm. and my thanks and, and thanks to was him very too. kind and yeah, yeah, and you yeah to to john asher so lovely um, um, um what a, it, it's it's really nice in times like this as we will find as the episode goes on um to be reminded that a lot of good people are out there and they're still fighting in their own way, even if that means being a good person for years on end in spite of all the shit that you're put through and and continuing to grow. That sometimes is all it takes and it's really important. Yeah. Um, so that said, I, that might give a hint that fucking <laughs> Justice
0: Ginsburg is dead. Long live Justice Ginsburg. We mentioned this, obviously, in the first part of the last episode, but yeah. uh, we wanted to dig into her legacy and why she yeah. meant so much. I feel like she became sort of a an icon that where everyone kind of knew who she was and knew she was important, but... yeah. I think a lot of people don't know why she was important, and even right. doing the research for this episode, I learned so much more about her and the amazing work she did for the women. The scope of
1: what she did is just incredible. Yeah. I mean, kind of combing through what we should and shouldn't talk about, I, I was compiling a list of all the cases that she's had an impact in, and just to rattle off one sentence of the topics where she's made progress. Um Voting rights, LGBTq plus rights, healthcare access, money and politics, uh, corporate reform, employee and workers' rights, gun control, racial and immigration status equity, education access, getting religion out of government, free speech and artistic expression, environmental protection, and obviously uh, gender rights on on both sides, whether that be male, female, or, or anyone in between so I mean she really did more than anybody that with whom I'm familiar uh, in the judicial branch to advance progressive causes everywhere
0: and for many, yeah. many decades. So, and within the within the uh, frame of the law, but also changing mm-hmm. how people interpreted the law. And yeah. I think that um, one thing that I was so surprised by that we discussed, we watched the RBG doc on Hulu, which is free. It's right free. So you can, uh, you can you should go watch it. It's a great, it's a great um, history on her life. And uh, one thing that we were both so impressed by is how hard of a worker she was, because <laughs> into her 80s, she was staying up until 3 or 4am working every night. And it, that started in her 20s when um, she was going to Harvard Law and her husband Marty got cancer, and they had a baby, they had a little girl, and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was attending her own classes, and then um, helping type up all her husband's notes that his classmates sent back, and um, working with his classmates to get him all the information that he needed so he could pass his classes. So, and she said that she was getting two hours of sleep at this time, (laughs) and that kind of work ethic went all the way throughout her life to, um, to into her eighties where she was working to all night. Present,
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Til now till the very end. It's- yeah.
0: She was an incredibly hard worker um, and not one to speak about herself at all. She, by all accounts, she was very, um, by all Self-a-face accounts, she was thing. very reserved and um, really let her, intelligence show through her work was just very much very quiet and a deep thinker and with a good sense of humor once it came out. Yeah like just a,
1: a warm and and very real self effacing sense of humor. It was just nice when you could see it documented. Um
0: no absolutely and I think that again this doc does that so well because mm-hmm. um they I think they showed her a clip from SNL which she thought was really funny, and they said, do you see any of yourself in this character? And she said, oh, not at all, but she was laughing the whole time. Oh, but she said, except maybe in the collar. (laughs) Yeah, because they had the the very distinct collar. Um, But she was just, she was truly um, a -a once-in-a-generation legal thinker, Mm -hmm. and the work, and we'll get more into the work she did for gender equality, And why it was so important, but she really blazed so many trails. Right. Um, And I think that it seems that everyone who came in contact with her was pulled over by her intelligence. And I wanted to, um, one of my favorite anecdotes is during her first year at Harvard, Hmm. uh, her husband, Marty, kept telling people, oh, my wife, my wife is going to be in law review, which was a huge deal. I think she was, she was one of a couple women in this class. I think four. yeah. Yeah. It was a handful of women. Um, and the dean at that school, by the way, <laughs> got <laughs> all of the women in the first year class hosted a dinner for them. And while they were there, told them, What are you doing taking a seat that could be occupied by a man? So this was at a time when it was really seen that women were should not be in higher education, should not be in law. So just the backbone and the fortitude that it takes to exist in that kind of culture at the time is incredibly impressive, and she was tired of uphill battle. I would add that,
1: you know, even though it was so much more obvious then, she really dedicated her life to fighting the ways that it insidiously and practically comes into effect. Things like protections for pregnancy, um, equal wages, stuff like that, that it seems so clear-cut then in a way that can seem remote. And yet, especially now as we face down the changes in the court, um there are so many things that she did to, to chip away at the practical effect that now we still are facing and, and facing walking backwards. So,
0: goddamn. Yeah. The, the, there are so many stories of, uh, cases that she took and argued, mm-hmm. uh, really, I don't remember, oh, she argued very persuasively. I think that it said that she won five out of the six cases that she argued in front of the Supreme court. Um, Jen, yeah yeah is that right yeah mm-hmm. um, and these were Supreme courts that were mostly white upper class men yep. who were captivated by her because she was such a persuasive arguer, and so she knew there's how to tailor it.
1: She was very yeah. strategic
0: long term incredibly incredibly smart in how she tailored arguments um, some would say shrewd in the best way, just very understood yeah, how awesome. she should present. Uh, her arguments uh including she there was a case where a father was trying to access social security um payout after reverse read after he uh, lost his wife during child uh, his wife died during childbirth he was raising his son by himself and he realized that social security benefits for parents were only accessible to mothers and they went before the court and they won not only did that cement. The fact that she truly cared about gender equality and could explain why uh, sexism negatively affects men as well,
1: right? Um, And how feminism benefits men. Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, And and this was, I believe, during the '70s. Yeah. So this is early um, '70s. This is these are cases that were at the time pretty unheard of. That she was that I mean the the obviously the situations were very common, but no yeah. one was fighting for these causes. No one was taking these up. Um, and then she later was, got
1: to cite the precedent that she herself created as as the arguing attorney um, as Supreme Court precedent, on which she relied as a justice, which um, I can imagine would be so satisfying, and it's really <laughs> fun, sounds too trite, but but fun to watch that trajectory when you look at the VMI opinion, which is what we're gonna focus on today. Uh, there was one case,
0: Frontero versus Richardson, uh, in 1973 Yeah, do you want to explain the background of the case at all? I don't want to Sorry, I don't want to
1: uh boy Okay, so I'm kind of going off of memory, but if memory serves um It was somebody a woman in the Air Force. I want to say is that accurate? I yes, believe she was it, in the Air Force Okay, it was a woman in the Air Force and she um, Some sort of benefits weren't accessible to her whereas they were for her male colleagues and so that she wasn't getting housing benefits. Okay, okay. So uh as with so many of these things uh, the Lily Ledbetter case as well which is an example of of a case where Ginsburg actually quote unquote lost uh, as a justice and was in the dissent but then spurred legislation that Obama and and that Congress passed. But uh as with so many, you know, the female plaintiff in this case realize, like, wait a second, <laughs> my uh, my male colleagues are getting this benefit, and the only reason that I'm not is that I'm a woman, and so uh, pursued the case, obviously, and it got to the point that uh, Ginsburg argued it for the Supreme Court in the early 70s, and um, this is another one that will be cited in the VMI case, which is in the 90s, and when Ginsburg was actually on the Supreme Court, uh, but there was a, a quote from her oral argument in that case that she found to be pivotal and and still is resonant today, resonant to so many causes. I I think
0: it really illustrates equity. It was a quote from uh, Sarah Grimke, who was a feminist activist, and the quote itself, I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet of our necks. Which is such a beautiful way of um, mm. encapsulating what the fight for true equality is about, which is that uh, when Ginsburg was fighting for these um, decisions to be passed, when she was arguing in favor of these decisions, what she really was doing was asking that uh, barriers be removed for women, and in yeah. some cases men, based mm-hmm. on antiquated ideas of gender roles, and um, that that comes up in the VMI decision as well.
1: Yeah, and you can see how that kind of reasoning uh, really transcends the specific gender or sex-based classification, because you can see how it could apply to to sexual orientation, or race, or disability status, that there are so many things where it's like, uh, and, and that she herself applied to those classifications as well, where It's just illustrating that things are not equal right now. So can you just stop actively putting us further down on the totem pole than than we are? And uh, so, yeah, obviously there's so many stories about her out there right now and and better equipped uh, storytellers to recount them. Uh, Nina Totenberg, especially from NPR, she had a great interview with her one-on-one. They they became friends over the decades because Nina Totenberg covered the Supreme Court for NPR, and um, they ended up just having a really nice friendship. And it's been so touching to see Nina Totenberg's tributes and coverage kind of at once uh, in the wake of of RBG's passing. And um, before we get into the actual case, God damn it! It's such a loss. It's it, and Brooke, you and I have talked so much about how the focus on the future, which is so real and so necessary right now, and kind of the nature of the beast with a Supreme Court justice dying, we really haven't gotten a chance, an adequate chance, to think about and mourn the person, the jurist, Justice Ginsburg herself. Yeah. And it, it, it sucks. I, I had the privilege of meeting her uh, a couple of years ago, and it was then and will remain one of the best experiences of my life. And I talked to her for two seconds. And yeah. you think of all the women and men and everybody that she has and will touch even as the years go on. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not a big crier, but I did, I actively cried when I watched her clerks lined up on all of her former clerks in a you know socially distanced grid on the steps of the Supreme Court as honorary pallbearers as her casket came up and into the court for the last time and they all just turned at attention and god damn it it's such a loss it's really such a loss
0: yeah what a um what a testament to the impact she had and how respected she was yeah, because and I think that's I think that's something that was sort of lost in a lot of the discourse about her for the later years of her life was that um, as much as like the notorious R- RBG thing, hmm. as much as it's fun and I think that like I think she liked it so that's all that really matters. I think she uh, it's in the documentary, it, it yeah, absolutely publicize her. Yeah, I think that uh, in the documentary they mentioned that she used to send notorious R B G shirts to her friends and like former yes. colleagues. She's like, did you get my Christmas present? <laughs> hilarious. But in all of that, as she was sort of made into um, you know this this uh, symbol of um, feminism on the court, so much of the actual work she did, um, even though I think it's great that she was re- recognized in that way, i there I don't think most people, because even I didn't really understand until I started digging more. yeah, I don't think most people understand how much was owed to her just as women. Um, and you, and see, you honestly, saw it about, a lot of
1: groups. I
0: mean, because she absolutely. also... Voting
1: rights, racial equality. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: There were, there were a lot of decisions that she contributed to or authored that are extremely important to, um, the, to human rights in general, but especially as in the fight for gender equality, and again, in the way that it affects men negatively, negatively as well, mm-hmm. but women especially, um, she just... She was uh, the mind behind so many landmark cases that really shaped the world we live in today. Uh, And we're going to talk about one of them in a second.
1: Yeah, and the best way to wrap this up, maybe uh, to add some much-needed hope to it, was that the rabbi who spoke at her funeral, who noted that it was a female rabbi, and she's married to a former clerk of, of Justice Ginsburg's.
0: Oh, um, I know that.
1: Yeah, but she, she had noted that her own role would not have been contemplated when Ginsburg's career started, and yeah. that there's so much owing that people don't even realize owes. But she also said that, you know, Ginsburg was very well known, especially towards the the latter half of her career for her dissents when she was on a a more conservative court, which, (laughs) God, if we only knew. Um, But that her dissents, as some of the dissents written about segregation and slavery were, um, even when the majority of the court was not so enlightened at the time, that her dissents will hopefully be the actual guide for majority opinions down the line, that this will yeah. be the direction that progress takes, and we will refer back to her to see what kind of reasoning we can rely on for future precedent. So all is not lost, and um, will, yeah, we'll focus on the VMI case for today.
0: Do you want to explain why the VMI case, not, on, not only is it an important case um, why don't you? from a legal point of view? OK. Because I'm uh, so allied with it. I don't, yeah. <laughs> So the VMI case, um, it's uh, the. Let me. What is the actual t- legal title of it? Uh,
1: it's so U.S. versus Virginia. Okay, uh, we US, actually use it in our in our
0: um, our show credits because our cover art is from that case. And our what we will mention, t- uh, we'll get to it eventually. But uh, our name, exceedingly persuasive, comes from this case, and I, we've referenced that before, um, but we'll, we'll expand on that as mm-hmm. well, but it's, uh, it's sort of meaningful to us in that way as well. Yeah. Um, so, U.S. versus Virginia, the, um, background of this case was that this college in Virginia, the Virginia Military Institute, was a men's only college. Mm-hmm. Um, the I believe the to. Yeah, so it received state funding. It wasn't a private college. Private colleges obviously can choose whether or not they uh, allow members of the opposite sex, as long as they don't really uh, receive any uh, right. federal funding. Not opposite sex. They can choose whether or not they um, single sex education. Yeah, they have yeah offer single sex education as long as they don't receive federal funding. So uh, this case specifically, sorry, let me just pull my notes on it. Um, it's uh, relatively
1: recent. I ninety five. I want to say.
0: Yeah, this was uh, the Virginia Military Institute was the last hmm. uh federally funded hmm. university in the state that only allowed uh single sex education. And the reasoning for that was that um men uh, men needed <laughs> to be with other dudes only because at that age from, you know, eighteen to twenty two, they are a ball of hormones and they're angry and they're um aggressive and they need someone to whip them inherently and inherently aggressive. Great great argument for men See but this is again if, like
1: how it's such a disservice to men as well because Exactly like, like just painting like, them as animalistic, yeah. you know loose cannon incorrigible yeah even they in the most disciplinarian environment of a military school it's like but they still can't handle it if they see
0: lady <laughs> right and it's the so the 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 college in arguing that they should be able to keep their single sex status was saying that um first of all their first their first argument was first of all women don't even want to come here it's too hard it's the and if they if they the did, curriculum's they, too tough that we're yeah, we're we're too hard on our students. It's too aggressive. I think the actual term they kept using the adversative method. Adversative method. Um, they, you know, they they don't even want to come here. And yeah, we're very delicate. We do. If we get
1: yelled at, um, you know, I get period cramps if I get yelled at.
0: So think, so about, well, think about bear that GMS. in mind. You really want to? Yeah. You really want to massive period all, all over everything. College by get taking your uterus in up. there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so they talked so, about
1: they also talked about privacy concerns they're like what are we going to do because there's so much um what i read as like weird semi-erotic like we like to sh- maybe kind of abusive if like
0: shower together or if you're like privacy is going to be a problem yeah i don't know they never really expand it on privacy which is so i'm like so you can't get separate bunks for the men and women if that's what you're worried about also yeah, but that people are like gay so- i don't know how to tell you this there are gay people who definitely even like, if you don't sure. ask even if they
1: don't tell back then uh hate <laughs> to tell mm-hmm. you
0: I don't know what. To, yeah, they, they exist, so they are definitely in these schools. Unless so you're many. Split everybody many up strokes. in a different bunk. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so say you want to, like, is it really hard that hard to just build a separate bunk? I, I guess it is. I guess it's completely undoable. Well, so, if it's a post hoc rationalization of bigotry, uh, you right? Know, your arguments aren't going to be great. But the problem was that uh, VMI offered an education. That um, really assisted the students who went there, meaning that yeah. a lot of them went on to um, be engineers. Uh, They, they were they were quote unquote they are training them to be quote unquote civilian soldiers, which every fiber of my being hates that term. Everything about that freaks me out. I don't like it, but apparently some people are attracted to that. But yeah, and you know what? It
1: doesn't have to be every woman. It doesn't have to be most women. And I know that you and I both talked about this. Like, yeah, it's not all women, it's not all men who want to do this, but hashtag not all women want to go to VMI.
0: <laughs> but some of them do. Um but there was the obviously an education at VMI could really benefit its graduates because a lot of them were going on to be politicians, again yeah. engineers. Uh they w- they were going on to have successful careers in the military. A great Having alumni VMI, network. a great alumni. A lot, of money. Yeah, a lot of um just you would be able to tap into um a, a whole group of people who would be able to help you along in your career. So in some ways, it became kind of this boys club that pushed men, um, that really mm-hmm. propelled men into success. And women and, didn't have
1: an equivalent
0: sort of opportunity. And women weren't allowed in. So there was this high school student who decided she wanted to go to VMI, and she applied and was denied based on her gender. So, and there were other women who also had wanted to attend and were denied uh, admission. Yeah, something like 350 in the couple years prior to the suit. So this was something that women wanted to go to the school. Um, they would have been able to get in, and they would have been able to uh, follow through with the curriculum in oh. every way except that they were women, and by nature of being women, a huge problem in many circumstances, I've heard. Um, and, uh, <laughs> by nature of being Absolutely. women, they were kept out because uh, the school was concerned about what it would do to the men if women were allowed in. And um, just to say off the bat that these were women who could
1: satisfy the physical requirements; that there was no adjustment made or requested of the
0: same standards being applied. Uh, uh, Really, the Annie Oakley "Anything You Can Do, I Can Do Better" song in action, which, or at least "Anything You Can Do, I Can Do Just As Well," but <laughs> because they were women, because they had the misfortune of being born with a uterus, which really is tough. Sucks I will for say, but, but we really, we should honest. get more
1: advantages for that because
0: <laughs> That's a we deficit. deal with a lot. It's not. It's not an additive. Well, we have awesome coping skills because of it. <laughs> um. And they were, so they were kept out just by nature of, of their gender, um, and as Mackenzie said, could meet every requirement, the physical requirements, um, the intellectual requirements, mm-hmm. they could pass the test, they, the, the only thing keeping them out was their gender. And one of the arguments that was made, um, against expanding the education to include women was that, well, most women wouldn't want to be here. Yeah, no, and Ginsburg made the argument uh, against this opinion, or against this, she um Ginsburg countered. Uh, yeah, countered this opinion by saying that um, well, I think we can agree that a lot of men wouldn't want to be in this environment either, but clearly some women do, and it's they should be about- allowed in
1: majority of folks um and so just to, to give some background this was an equal protection of the 14th amendment um complaint that was brought and the first issue that and, and it went through the lower courts as well so first it went to the district court that covered virginia um and then it went up to the circuit court which would be the step below the supreme court and they they had differing opinions uh, slightly they there's a lot of like nuanced Minutia that that came out differently. Uh, The bottom line is that there were two issues. First of all, did the very fact of a state funded institution having a single sex education school with uh, unique opportunities, so no equivalent for women with the the same, you know, it, it kind of mirrors the whole segregation, separate but equal is inherently unequal, um, that there was no VWIL that was comparably beneficial to women. And could you explain VWIL? Because we haven't mentioned that yet. Oh, yeah. So, so essentially like Virginia Women's Institute of something or other. I don't know what the actual acronym was for, but it it was a proposed alternative. It's like, but what if we make a little ladies school? But it wasn't the same. Uh, They didn't use the same methods. They obviously didn't have the same connections that a century-plus-old boys' club institution in Virginia had. Uh, They didn't have the same endowment. They didn't have the same professors. They didn't have anything comparable, and they didn't even really try because it was proposed only as a remedy to the lawsuit um, at at the lower levels of the court.
0: It was meant to satisfy... Um, The stipulation that they needed to create uh, a quote unquote separate but equal uh, school for women, where they it was supposed to be a remedy, where they could put okay, kind of shove it off and be like, okay, women want to want this access to this education, fine, we'll give them this school, but it was it was determined that the curriculum wasn't the same, it wasn't as rigorous, and it didn't benefit Mm -hmm. the students as well that the professors weren't paid as much and they uh, they did not have the same credentials as attract? the professors yeah. at VMI. Um, and that overall, it, it did not benefit women in the same way that VMI benefited men because, not that many, because le- less resources were put in right. because they did not really care about this institution because they were just trying to satisfy yeah. uh, the court's decision. And so when it, this was pushed into... Um, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's lap in hmm. the in the court that where she made this ruling, it was because they had not satisfied those requirements to create an equal school for women.
1: yeah, so they they gave it a shot um, so thus, the question before the Supreme Court that that the VMI decision that Ginsburg authored uh, answered was first, does it indeed violate the equal protection clause to have this school? um, with its admission requirements, such as it, uh, such as they were, and for the reasons that they give, because there's kind of a balancing test that goes on about if you are going to discriminate on the basis of sex, you need, um, an exceedingly persuasive justification for doing so. Uh, and we have title. Hey, that's the name of the movie. Oh, oh my god, the oh. that's crazy. Holy shit. Whoa. Um, That's a total coincidence. I
0: didn't actually know that.
1: That's crazy. Oh, (laughs) we just came up with that by
0: ourselves. We thought "Excuse Me, First Place" was a great name for a podcast. never even heard of this decision. Mm -mm.
1: Not a wild. So yeah, there's kind of like a balancing that you can think of. Boy, I wish I had some good examples on the tip of my tongue, but that there are some reasons where you could see. I don't know, like pregnancy benefits, for example, uh, things that might help women in realms where they need assistance. That that you can, if you have a very good justification that's not based on generalizations and is not meant to kind of keep women down based on those generalizations, that that is an exceedingly persuasive justification for a law distinguishing on the basis of sex.
0: Um, but it explicitly needs to be... Um, you need a high bar there. Yeah, it needs to be a high bar, and it cannot be trying to restrict women from yeah. moving upward. It explicitly needs to be outside of the realm of
1: um not generalizations and stereotypes Uh, she talks a lot about that that in the vmi decision
0: yeah i mean i think we should absolutely yeah we'll get more into that
1: but just to to sum up the initial question so yeah it it can't be based on these these old traditional generalizations about what women can or, or should do or be and there has to be an independently very, very strong reason for making that distinction. So that that burden falls to the government when the government makes a law that distinguishes on the basis of sex. So... And this, I think, is really
0: important to... uh, Just to... I wanted to note this. Sure. Ruth Bader Ginsburg clarifying that is, after watching this documentary Mm -hmm. about her and understanding what she went through as a woman coming up in this field... Yeah. um, I think it's so important because her entire life assumptions were made about her because of her gender assumptions mm-hmm. that what she could do and what she should do were made about her and um it was a barrier to her in many situations they even talk in the documentary about how she tried to get a job yeah. um at law firms in new york city when her husband marty was working as a tax lawyer in new york city and she and was top
1: of her class like she had been top of her class at harvard transferred to columbia because her husband made got a, a job
0: law review in her second year which is
1: incredible
0: for a woman at that time
1: and and nailed it at both schools had an incredible record was highly recommended by her professors and still was not hired anywhere
0: and at this one specific law firm she had two men (laughs) who were friends of hers go to this uh, law firm where they knew the hiring uh, director Mm -hmm. and they said they both said to him we have uh an incredibly smart lawyer Best, best in her class, um, will be a great asset to this law firm. Uh, couldn't find a better, a better lawyer. And the um, her, the friend of hers who was telling the story said that as soon as he used the she pronoun, um, the hiring director said, "You know, we don't hire women at this law firm." So she was opportunities were cut off for her personally because she was a woman. And so I think that you know, in ninety five, in the mid nineties, when this decision mm. was made, like in my lifetime, be, it's crazy. In both of our lifetimes, yeah, yeah I was born in ninety five, and yeah, the the idea that when this decision was made, not only is she having, it, it reminds me of that protest sign that was uh, that had Can't shown up multiple still- times. I can't but I'm still protesting this shit. It's kind of along those lines where it's like the fact that she has oh, to God. repeatedly make these arguments. And then we, um, we can't
1: even think about the and, end of the saga because
0: Right. But the fact that she's had to com- had to repeatedly make these arguments um over and over again throughout her career, all the way up until the very end. And to is, to die knowing that they likely would in part at least be reversed. Some of them certainly, but the ground that was made in in those um in well, those eight decades of her life. Yeah. It's, it's not all lost. Uh, there was, there was so much, um, yeah, that, there was so, there's so many wins that I don't think that we ever will go back to the way it was. However, right. My, my point being that, um, it's almost poetic that mm-hmm. she got to make, uh, she, got, she got to make this argument in a case, um, and help women behind her who, mm-hmm help women behind her and protect them from facing the same barriers she faced that's not only incredibly inspiring but it's something that i think that i don't want to overlook that the fact that like this is this is probably very personal to her as well yeah
1: absolutely um and it's a lovely prospect and, and life value to dedicate oneself to making sure that people like you don't have to go through the same bullshit that you did. Um, I think it's a very selfless and, and insightful, caring, a worthy cause, to absolutely. Conduct oneself in an intellectual pursuit as well. And, um, it's a notable contrast to Mark now in terms of her likely successor. Uh, um, yeah. but yeah. So then before we move totally off of the jurisprudential nonsense, um, which is not nonsense and I don't mean to undercut myself or her, yeah. But the second prong then of the test, if if it was found that the policy itself, the admissions policy itself, was a violation of the Equal Protection Clause, there's the question of, of how do we fix it? Because obviously this, like, pseudo-fix of a ladies version uh, yeah. wasn't cutting it. So... Uh, do we then have to admit women? Is that the the best and only way to fix it? That was the second prong if you
0: answered yes to the first question, which ultimately yeah. the court did. And female students finally were allowed to join VMI. The um, mm-hmm. They, I, I believe that they were still a minority. Oh, yeah. For a long time, maybe still even now. Yes, yeah, relatively In the classes, but... In the document, sorry, I could go back to this doc. You guys just need to no, watch yeah, it, but it's, in case it's a you don't, yeah, it's I'll, a good ex- I'll describe a few more uh, stories from this. But in the documentary, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, first of all, she had a photo of um, one of the more recent classes of women who had graduated from B.M.I. and she was pointing them out and saying. Oh, you know, a couple of them went on to the engineers, a couple of them went into military service, uh, a couple of them became... She's profet- like just basically saying, like, oh, all these, all these women went on to do really amazing things. And an incredibly thoughtful
1: person to know that. Like, you think of the station that she was at in her career, and to yeah. know who these people who are affected by my decision and, and I what think they're doing now. I think very
0: important to her, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but there was a a story from one of the first women who... <laughs> She was she was in the first class of women who were uh, accepted to VMI, and she said that even after they were accepted, of course there was still a lot of anti um, anti women rhetoric mm-hmm. and behavior in within the institution because there's a lot of hostility um, for women in general, but especially when women she, move into men's space quote unquote men's spaces like that. And she said that at one point there was an alumni dinner, and uh, a member of the alumni came up to her. And she went to shake his hand, and he said, I'm not going to shake your hand. I'm wondering what you're doing here and why you're trying to ruin this institution. Because she was a woman. <laughs> so and she did this, indeed
1: break it by just existing. You know, We she, see that now.
0: Obviously, her, her mere presence completely destroyed this, which I think... It's like that's a flimsy institution. <laughs> ...what this actually was about and what it meant to... Uh, to a lot of these men, to keep women out, because hmm. by nature of them belonging to the institution, it dirtied it. That women coming in, and this yeah. is actually something that came up it's the many idea. times yeah. with um, uh, there were uh, they were talking about how a lot of these, the, the arguments uh, against women being allowed into male spaces, like um, female doctors being allowed to uh, enter medical school. Um, law school. In, into law yeah the, a lot of the
1: kind of contemporaneous with her i mean she was one of the first classes no,
0: absolutely um I, the arguments that are made against it usually are not sometimes it's women can't do this so or it's not their place more often than not it's this institution will no longer be attractive to men if we mm-hmm. allow women in uh this institution will no longer be taken seriously if we allow women <laughs> in and that it will detract from men's education if we allow women in. That either standards will have to be lowered, or the fact that women's bodies are in that environment will distract them. It's and like a so dress very, code argument. It's like men exactly. simply
1: men in law or medical school or you know this prestigious military institution simply cannot handle themselves
0: if they see the skin of a woman
1: nearby to them.
0: But it's such this, it's just such blatant misogyny being such an easy word to use. But if you really think about what they're saying, they're saying that women diminish the stature of an institution, uh, the seriousness in the stature of an institution. And I think that with a couple of these situations specifically... Um, It's so male-focused. It's so right about how men are affected. Because it's all a function about how of It's will them. benefit women. Yeah.
1: It's, it's not about... And there was that line in the decision that, that... I can't remember it verbatim, but it was one that I think I had mentioned to you specifically that so much of the reasoning, even the, the relatively more reasonable arguments that the state made for uh, focusing on men they were all about the well-being of the male students and, and that men in Virginia needed a diversity of, of education options and that this was such a, a unique institution. And Ginsburg, again, to paraphrase, probably less eloquently, said for whatever diverse options the Commonwealth is offering its men or its sons, it makes no consideration for its daughters. And, and that's really the nature of so many of these arguments is that it just considers women as an extension of what they mean to
0: men in these spaces. And, and even even more so than that, I think that, um, and so the quote exactly is, uh, Virginia has never at any period of her history provided for the higher education mm-hmm. of her daughters, though she has liberally provided for the higher education of her sons. And mm-hmm. I think that what that means to me, what this whole conversa- greater conversation about focusing on the success of men At the cost of the success of women, is this idea that divorced also right? Women can only be benefited if it can be proven that their that 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 their success will not take from the successes of men, which is impossible because when more women are in the workplace, when when women are um, able to meet the height of their potential. There's more competition, and they know that. And so it's this insidious idea. And of course, like we talk about how like men are also benefited by feminism, but we shouldn't have to frame it like that. Yeah. Because the truth of the matter is that our world is not supposed to be completely centered around what benefits men. And be, unfortunately, yeah. up until very, very recently, I mean, again, this case is, I think, in 95, mid-90s. Um, well, and I would argue still, I, I don't know that... Uh, this is probably many ways. But- <laughs> yeah. Um, but this, this idea that men are the main concern and they and I think that like, this is a total sub conversation that I have. Um, I think that a lot of conservative or at least like a lot of ultra conservative viewpoints that place men in a position where they, um, they can't pursue, non-traditional career Mm. paths or, you know, stay-at-home dads are always kind of side-eyed. There are so many situations where um, men are hurt in the structure that we exist in as well. I don't mean to diminish that at all because I think that is an actual real problem. Well, actually, VMI cites
1: to a Supreme Court precedent that was Mississippi Women's College, I believe, which to condense it was a, a nursing college that didn't admit men. And so it was a similar strategy to that that Ginsburg used, um, but essentially saying that a traditionally female career path, which is still here with male nurses, it's still a, kind of an acceptable punchline, but that excluding men because that what they were inherently less nurturing. Uh, yeah, I think no, was one of the arguments. Yeah, And again,
0: it's, it as, as Gainsbourg brings up over and over again, mm-hmm. it's these antiquated ideas of what gender is supposed to look like and what gender roles men and women are supposed to fill. And I yeah. think that... Um, and that it becomes like, a
1: self-fulfilling prophecy, too, which mm-hmm. she notes, that if you restrict yeah. people enough, yeah, you're damn right, they're not going to be nurturing if you don't raise them to be nurturing and nobody teaches them to be. yeah. Honestly, go, go read any one of her opinions or segments there from because, uh, whether they be majority or, or dissenting, um, some of her dissents are, are often just as, if not more powerful, like Shelby County versus Holder, which is the Voting Rights Act, which, um, you know, I love
0: the getting rid of an umbrella. Do you want to, yeah, say, say the line. Um, so it was, uh, a Roberts Court case, so
1: relatively recent as well, I think it was 2015, and it was gutting the Voting Rights Act, which was the initial means of getting rid of um, Jim Crow poll taxes, it, it, all sorts of these these laws crafted by Southern states to uh, prevent Black voters
0: from getting to the polls or, or being heard. And Some of those laws are still in effect uh, in states where felons don't have the right to vote well because of this case yeah in large part um so essentially they they walked it back
1: because the strongest argument that was made was but look how well things have been working since then um which she rightfully pointed out was a consequence of how effective the law was and in dissenting to getting rid of it she said getting rid of this is like getting rid of your umbrella in a rainstorm because you're not getting wet and um, I think that is, that's an argument that you can apply to so many things. And uh, obviously, in the wake it, of that decision, we've seen it all go to hell. We got really drenched without our umbrella. My voting rights got wet. <laughs> <laughs> got wet Went right in the voting rights. You're like life lessons from Ginsburg, I guess.
0: So do you want, I, I think that you have some very meaningful uh, yeah. quotes from her. I don't uh, even know that they're, they're quotes per se. I don't
1: know that they're verbatim, but I feel like I keep reminding myself of a lot of lessons and trying to incorporate and then reincorporate because nobody's perfect and I lose track of them. It's It requires a lot of discipline and emotional maturity to actually apply them um, in both personal and professional contexts. But there were some really good lessons about how she advocated and how she lived her life. And I think that one that a lot of you have probably heard, but I really urge you to think about it is to fight in a way that leads others to join you. So fight for what you believe in, but fight in a way that leads others to want to join you. And I think that a lot of people, it, it's so easy to fire things off. And God knows a lot of us are really angry right now. Um, and just for a I, I, yeah, I really
0: good reason. There are so many situations in which um, anger is righteous and it is good. And I think that in certain situations, um, showing anger is the right thing to do. But there are a lot of circumstances in which we can, you know, honey attracts more flies than vinegar. You, you cash more, yeah. Yeah, I think that um, the one thing You that never sh- get people by yelling at them. You never, yeah. And sometimes yelling makes a point and that point needs to be made. However, if you're trying to, what's your end goal? Yeah. Like I think that,
1: that the righteousness of anger is certainly true and valid, but the way that I try to apply it to myself is do I think that I am furthering the cause by doing this yelling? It's not, am I right? Because usually certainly in my mind I am, but are they on my side now because I yelled? Am I making progress? I don't know that you you often are. And it's an argument to be made, but I would really challenge people to ask themselves what
0: their end goal is. Um, Absolutely. And to be yeah. strategic about it. And so that... I think, she, in my opinion, there there is absolutely a time and a place for, for yelling. There's absolutely a time and a place for showing anger. And sure, and, and um, the time
1: and a place being the lesson. That, that yeah, you absolutely. Can absolutely do it with people and in contexts that just allow you to vent that feeling and to channel your rage into something more constructive. But, she, I mean, she did say that, that anger and regret are wasted emotions. Just get the job done.
0: the The idea that... I think her saying, like, anger is maybe not a productive emotion in a lot of situations, she really portrayed that in her personal life. I know that she said... She made a hell of a lot of progress, so it's a hard equation to question. Yeah. Um, She was asked about how she responded to sexist men on the court, either Mm -hmm. ridiculing or belittling or not understanding her argument. And um, something that she said, which actually she got from her mom, Mm -hmm. uh, apparently, is that, Basically, what you said—anger isn't a useful emotion in those circumstances—and the best thing you can do is respond level-headedly.
1: Because it's—it's obviously it's so easy for us to lean into that feeling. I am one of the angriest people I know, (laughs) and a lot of people who know me would not describe me as that. That, and I think that the more control you have over your own emotions and channeling it, and at least. Being able to, and then measured way if it's useful, Um, it's it's a lesson that we don't get as much as maybe we should these days because so many things can be very um, instant gratification in the way that we, especially in a political atmosphere that is so fast paced, and that's not anybody's fault, but whose fault it obviously is. Yeah. Um, But you know, to learn to live with it because this is the world we live in. and then, the, just like, in a similar vein, so she got a lot of support and platforms through civility, um, and you could. I think that that's a debatable platform, but obviously she, again, is a testament to how effective it was, at least in her case, that, that it can be an effective strategy, um, and that she made was very successful at making very radical change
0: and yeah. hopefully some lasting change. So it's worth and listening to. She said that lasting change is often incremental and that was very true in her case, that yeah. uh, she worked over her entire career starting in her early 20s Crazy. to make small changes. Step. She was very methodical about it. She was and incredibly smart. And super resilient, smart. yeah, damn, yeah. To accept losses when they came, but also she got some big wins. And, but it was, it was, it was step by step moving forward. And I think getting
1: up off your ass when you are knocked down. Like the, she lost a lot personally and professionally and.
0: So resilient. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. uh, (laughs) Now we got to move on. Uh, We got to move on to um, what's happening now with the courts. So. Uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett was nominated. The nomination will likely, I believe that her confirmation process starts October 12th. It's predicted too by Republicans. Predicted too. They they technically
1: have to do a lot of uh, investigation beforehand, but she also was approved to the Seventh Circuit, which was a federal approval process uh, recently. So
0: presumably a lot of that research has been done. She's already been vetted. Um, The one thing that, I think it kind of goes without saying that the rules were changed from 2016 when Merrick Garland was blocked from the confirmation process because Just the argument was that he it was too close to the election. Uh, we are now believe far it was about closer. 250 days out. It was yeah, it was months out. We are now um, about I, a month. Well, yeah, about a month away from the elections. A little, hmm. a little over. And the rules now have changed because that's what they do. Because that's how politics works now. What matters is who has power and who is willing to wield it to get more Although, power. Although when the other side was wielding power, uh, it was
1: not wielded thusly, and nor has it been through the history of this country.
0: So the yeah, I, the GOP has the Senate, so the GOP is going to get what it wants in the situation, which is that uh, we're probably going to move forward on the uh, Amy Coney Barrett confirmation. I don't know if that confirmation will fit into the time period that it's, um, it's pushing necessary. it. It's practically yeah. pushing it. Yeah. We're very close to the election, which is obviously November 3rd.
1: Like um, Ginsburg was approved, I think, 96 to 4, for example. It was a less partisan approval. And yeah. her process being relatively smooth was 42 days, which is more time than we have now. What will happen if this, if the confirmation process goes past the election? it's tough to say so there there are these things called the only other semi-parallel case where it was like a comparable time frame was eisenhower made a recess appointment which is an appointment that's made while the senate is in recess and so they can't approve or investigate right away um so essentially what has to happen is like the person steps onto the court and it was Justice Brennan at the time <laughs> uh, it, was who, and, it was you. Yes, yeah, so it was me. It was me. Okay. Guys. <laughs> and he actually was the one who wrote the Roe v. Wade decision, but uh, not a very controversial pick for what it's worth. Um, but they serve until the Senate can approve, like within the next year, like before the end of the next term. Um, but that only has happened once with Justice Brennan. Uh, So, and it also, like, no part of the investigation had happened beforehand. So I think, again, we're kind of in uncharted waters in terms of the Constitution doesn't prescribe a lot of these procedures, in part, and looking back to Merrick Garland, because there was such a presumption that people, that legislators and executives wouldn't just say no. So Merrick Garland, there was nothing at all in the Constitution or in precedent that said, you get to just shirk your duty and refuse to hear it if you decide you don't want to. And yeah. so
0: there's no real remedy in place for if that Which happens. So, so true of so many, we've talked about this before, yeah. but of so many parts of the Trump administration where they it's just, so brazen. there's no <laughs> procedure in place to prevent this from happening because no one has tried it before.
1: Because nobody was just like,
0: nope, yeah, I see because- that it says that textually that I have to do this. No yeah so there's <laughs> there's no remedy for it because it's no one has it's just so absurd passed like, off norms in the way that he has
1: yeah um, um which it, it also shows you when people say things like constitutional crisis um i I don't think it's hyperbole because we're awfully close to it just doesn't matter anymore yeah uh so i long story short too late to answer your question. I don't know um the only thing. Well, Obviously, if the Senate flips too with the election, that would have an effect as well. They, I think Brown they'll go on holiday. Hot recess. Water right
0: now. Yeah, he's Poor he's baby. really pushing. I mean, that's uh, he's been pushing for a lot of media time and asking for funds because oh. I think that he is struggling. What's
1: happening? Seat, so. And as does
0: uh, Martha McSally, who. I will be voting against. I mean, Senator Collins is also in hot water. I think (laughs) she actually came out uh, publicly against confirming because she knows that uh, many of her voters would be upset if she uh, vocally supported uh, confirming a new justice. Murkowski also came out against confirming. Senators Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, if you are... (laughs) New to the show, they pivot. They re- they're real pivoters. Um, they they, they will, like do a lot of hand wringing when Trump does things, but ultimately vote with him. <laughs> they, they they often waffle. They often say that like pretend that they have all of these moral qualms about the behavior that's going on uh, from the White House or from the GOP I in sure general. Like this, yeah, yeah. They you know wax poetic about honor and uh, <laughs> and, and like, then have all none. of those things that don't exist anymore. <laughs> And then they, at the last minute, uh, will usually vote in favor of whatever the GOP has I was decided unconvinced. is the way to go. Um, this happened with Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, Murkowski uh, cast the deciding vote, and he was confirmed. Mm-hmm. And I, off that point, I would like to say, it is inhumane to ask the American public to go through not one but three confirmation processes two of which were extremely contentious like, and divisive and traumatizing for us all in four years have I mean, I not 2017 in, yeah and now we gotta do this shit again are
1: you fucking kidding me the fact that anthony kennedy stepped down after because his son was uh somebody high up in Deutsche Bank and had connections to Trump and where he keeps his assets, met with somebody at the white house, um, decided to step down very strategically after learning allegedly, uh, you know, allegedly meeting the with the per- person meeting at the white house with the person who was responsible for picking yeah, those out are Supreme court nominees, facts hundred percent facts. And then he stepped down who destroyed his centrist
0: legacy. Yeah
1: which uh, so certainly existed before a this.
0: Um, really quickly, we're running out of time here, so I just want to say uh, Amy Coney ACB. Barrett. The slap in the face of, of the timing and the seat that
1: she's filling as a woman who, I I think I texted this to Brooke at like four in the morning one night. I'm hyperbolizing, but uh, a tweet was that was said a night, a night text. how... Yeah, it was a night text. It was a night crying text that was essentially opining how terrible it is that RVG fought for her whole career to open doors for women, and that uh, Amy Coney Barrett got to walk through those doors and now will likely have a career on the court where she shuts them behind her for women and minorities and disadvantaged people who would love to have those opportunities. She has actively disavowed um, respect for precedent that essentially if she disagrees with precedent, which is the whole basis on which the judiciary rests, which is that we have laws <laughs> that, we, that we're bound by. Um, she kind of has said if she disagrees with it, she'll overturn it comfortably, which is not a basis in logic or law. It's just personal preference. Have that come on the heels of somebody like RBG who fought so hard for things like rooting in law equality and strategy to to create a strong foundation for progress.
0: Um, a couple things, a couple worry, and if you, if you care about reproductive rights, obviously the what's in the forefront of a lot of people's minds is uh, Roe v. Wade. And uh, Amy Coney Barrett has called Roe an erroneous decision. Hmm. Uh, she predicted when, when she was uh, being confirmed to a lower court in 2017 she predicted the Supreme Court um, would likely keep the precedent of Roe, but as, that was the Supreme Court as it stood at the time, which obviously she was not on it. And then, yeah, um, <laughs> and then said that states would give more flexibility to, to limit abortions. We've talked about reproductive justice before, and uh, I think it was the second episode we ever uh, released. Yeah. But one of the uh, the idea of... Restricting late-term abortions um, is kind of used as a cudgel or a flashy object to win mm-hmm. over uh, more conservative voters. However, late-term abortions comprise only 1% of abortions. In all situations at, at, uh, at that stage, it's because the mother is in duress or the uh, fetus is in duress. Usually, uh, they will be born with a, a condition that will um, mean that their quality of life is very low and then they will pass away. Or uh, it is actually killing the mother, the woman. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh,
1: like that, the child or the mother will die, and and when it's it's the fetus whose life will eventually end. It's it's usually under horrific circumstances. The these aren't like
0: clumsy, about, flippant decisions, right? The, yeah, these are the cases we talk about when we talk situations. about late-term abortion, and they're That's, heart-wrenching for the yeah, people who these make those are, choices. Absolutely, this is again. These are not decisions people make um, at the drop of a dime. You seven can't. Or eight you, you legally can't. and You medically can't. Another thing that, that raised a red flag for me was her. Uh, she signed a petition arguing against the ACA, insisting employers provide access to birth control and insurance plan. Uh, the petition that she signed argued that this infringed on religious freedom and said the simple fact that the Obama administration is compelling religious people and institutions who are employers to purchase a health insurance contract that provides uh, birth control, contraception and sterilization. Also, they reference abortion inducing drugs, which isn't true. Birth control. So they call Plan B pills, which is scientifically wrong. So the idea that um, employers providing adequate health care it's not like the Obama administration was requiring them to put, you know, birth control dispensers at every door. They were saying that uh, they would have to cover health insurance that might be used. Yeah, personal. and you think of things like RBG's legacy in terms of
1: these more insidious infringements like what pregnancy does and, and what control over your body and choices and timing allows women to do in the workplace, um,
0: and financial freedom allows. So anyway, we just wanted to touch on all of that. Um, we'll be keeping you apprised, obviously, of the confirmation process as it moves forward. One thing that we wanted to mention before we end this episode was the uh, indictment of one of the police officers in the Breonna Taylor case. Uh, he was indicted for reckless endangerment, not because he shot and killed Breonna Taylor, but because he fired bullets into the wall behind her, which could have endangered her neighbors, um, which really emphasizes uh, not only the fact that Black women so often are not protected by the law, um, or law enforcement in our country, but also that uh, property damage is often placed above the loss of human life. It's, it's one of those decisions that is incredibly infuriating, but unfortunately not surprising given the system that we live in. We didn't want to end this episode without acknowledging that. I think both of us wanted to refer folks back to our Black Lives Matter
1: episode, talk more about the facts of the case, um, especially in light of legal theory. But,
0: um, the precedent on no-knock warrants in general yes. and things like that.
1: Yeah, and what's required, because that's something that I also think should should come out more and has not really been examined, is, is what was the basis for that no-knock warrant? Because it, somebody signed it, and you need somebody to sign it specifically on a case-by-case basis, a, a magistrate or judge usually. Uh, so what was the basis for that? And was that something that we should be looking into? Because it sounds like yes. Uh, this recent development was just... A step in the wrong direction further. Uh, there's still an ongoing FBI investigation. There's still an option for the family to pursue civil federal charges of police brutality, um, and
0: unnecessary force. but what I do think know in those cases that qualified immunity qualified prevents, immunity and then you tie um, it in to the fact that, then that by a in court civil cases yeah
1: is is not in a composition now or likely going forward that that would overturn qualified immunity but the one thing that i think would be very useful in terms of the most recent development with uh the indictment and lack thereof is uh finding out and it's really uncommon for transcripts of of grand jury testimonies to be publicized and and released to the public uh but in this case, I really wonder because the prosecutor for the state is also somebody who is allied with the police, and that's always going to be the case. And in cases like this, that's going to be a pretty big conflict of interest, especially if we're Absolutely. in Mitch McConnell's state. Um, so I'm I'm very curious at what the grand jury was given to work with. We know that the indictment didn't even use Brianna Taylor's name which is pretty telling on yeah. how they framed the case
0: to begin with. And I, I and so feel disrespectful. It's I mean, so disrespectful. even from a human point of view, it's just like yeah. the fact that and so she wasn't blatant. even acknowledged yeah. in this indictment is so disrespectful to her and her family. And she and also was me mentioned on the police report when she right. was a victim the night of. And it makes me wonder what the grand jury was
1: even given because the fact that they indicted the one police officer for anything, whereas a lot of people do see that Um, And understandably so, as like a, wow, that's really fucked up. To me, I could see it as evidence that they were trying to get somebody on something, but they just weren't given anything. Yeah. And I think that that's very possible if the state is controlling the narrative that the grand jury gets. Um,
0: This would be a problem with how the prosecutor presented the case and not the grand jury itself. Yep, yep, yep. Um, And so, yeah releasing the transcripts so could be helpful. That's a good thing to advocate for at this point.
1: Um, who knows how far it would get anyone, but in terms of what a very useful
0: next step would be, I think that's one. Absolutely. And just like, just I, I just want to acknowledge the the pain that surrounds this issue and the, uh, we were talking about righteous anger before, um, the very righteous anger from people who, from everyone who cares about criminal justice reform and the lives of um, of, especially Black women who are so often overlooked in cases yeah. like this, and um, just, this is a, this is, this hurts, and I think yeah. that um, it's blow after blow these days. The campaign for, for justice for her, um, not only was, like, nationwide, but especially in that city, there was so much passion behind it, and um, so much understanding that a lot rode on it, that a lot of, like, this, this, this case specifically meant a lot. Um, and I think that the, the fact that they impose the curfew, it's, it's such an authoritarian reaction to people's righteous anger, um, that no, you don't even, you don't even get to have an emotional response to this. You don't even get to vocalize your disapproval of our choice. And And where's the line?
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, okay.
0: We're ending it on a positive note though. We promised this, um, to end on a happy note that was our happy note god damn it
1: (laughs) we had one we are i think brooke we're in consensus
0: about this opinion yeah that that that, um so if you were on twitter at all during uh or watching the services the news yeah watching services you saw (laughs) bruce Bader ginsburg's personal trainer a teddy bear of a man a certified in front of her casket her emotional support himbo as it were (laughs) um Go in front of her casket and do, like, five push-ups in front of her casket. And a lot of people made fun of him. And I just want to say, you leave that man alone. He is greedy. Get the fuck
1: off his back.
0: This, like, he just wanted to do push-ups with RBG one more time. That was their relationship. First of all, we have always been and will always be a pro-Himbo podcast. We're going on record with that. Himbo rights. Himbo rights. He was just trying to um, show through his love language, which apparently is push-ups, uh, that he cared about RBG, yeah, and, I, and he's gonna miss her. No shaming the the personal trainer of RBG in this house. Thank you. Very I'm gonna much. go do a
1: plank, maybe, or maybe not. Maybe I'll go to bed, but maybe I will do a plank.
0: You can All find right. me on the on the thing on the socials <laughs> I'm at. BKE Rogers on Twitter. You can find me at uh, Brooke Angeline on Instagram. Um, I am on Instagram at
1: MKZ Joy Brennan on Twitter. I made my first viral tweet, which was really anticlimactic. Oh, good and for you! In support of Maricopa County Attorney candidate Julie. I'm gonna look up how to pronounce it.
0: I'll believe um, that when you say it. Honestly, I don't know at all.
1: Whatever, go vote for her if you're registered in the same state and county I am. Um, but yeah, so my Twitter is, uh, fuck, what is it? Oh, get me to a nunnery, but the two is the number two, still. And boy, we will miss you Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, that's that. Thank and- you
0: for, um, ironically, Thank you for your service.
1: Thank you for Thank your you. lifetime of service. And you guys keep fighting. I know it feels really fucking helpless right now, but I'm with you. Brooke's with you. We're all doing it. And sometimes we have to take a day to be sad
0: and then you get off your ass again. Yeah. Uh, there was actually something that you sent me that I thought was really insightful. It was a quote right after RBG died. Someone said, um, hope was a discipline. I think that's very true. Yes um pessimism feels good right now and turning everything off feels good but um optimism optimism pushes you forward and keeps you fighting for what the future that you want and the world that you want and um also in times like this when you are feeling really low just like lean on the people around you and your community remember that a lot of good work gets done at a community level and um and it re-inspires you to have the support of people around you Absolutely. Um, I think I'm about to order a margarita off Seamless, so that's, that's what i I'm do. I fully support that and Kimbo's. Alright, good night, guys. Yeah. Margarita We all do that. Bye, guys. Bye. Help. <laughs>